Turning Point Coaching and Consulting presents Kairos Conversations, Connecting with Quality, the podcast. Kairos is Greek for the right time, the right season, and the right opportunity. This podcast features healthcare quality professionals who share their journeys, their advice, their struggles, how they made that transition into a new and exciting role. My heart's desire is that you find this podcast to be inspirational to you as you make your own journey. Don't forget to share this podcast with your colleagues and friends and rate us on whichever podcast platform you listen to. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I am joined by my next guest, Onika Griffin-Webb. Thank you so much for being here, Onika. Hi, Brandy. Thank you so much. I am so happy to be here with you today. Awesome. So let's start by introducing yourself to the audience. Okay. So as Brandy said, my name is Onika Griffin-Webb. I am a registered nurse and I am the founder and chief quality officer of Quapi Consulting, LLC, which stands for Quality, a Priority Investment. Awesome. So I do want to get into how you started your business, but let's go back a little bit and talk about your journey as a registered nurse. What setting did you start in? Kind of talk us through your clinical journey. Absolutely. So I started out, well, I've been a registered nurse for a little over 35 years now, and I actually started as a pediatric nurse um, in a New York City public hospital. And I eventually transitioned into home health about 33 years ago. And I started out as a field clinician providing direct patient care to patients in their homes. Um, From there, I actually went into quality, but in managed care. Uh, Very interesting story behind that one, but I worked for a managed care organization. And then from there, I went back into home health and uh, I worked in leadership, management, and education, and eventually quality again. Okay. And so what prompted you um, to go into quality? What what made you interested in that subset of our industry? So it really all stemmed from my desire for more professional growth and development. I wanted to broaden my skills and my abilities and my experiences because at that point it was largely home health. And as much as I love what I was doing, I was really more future focused at that time. And I just didn't want to limit myself. And so my first role was as a QA nurse, as I mentioned, for a managed care organization. And what really attracted me to that role was that it allowed me to utilize my clinical skills. That was really important to me. I didn't want to lose all that I had acquired. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I traveled locally and I worked on site with provider offices to address care gaps at that time. And that was a great introduction to performance measures, something that was completely new, Um, as well as using data, really how to collect data and use data to impact change. And I just really enjoyed it. I was really surprised. I mean, I took a risk, absolutely, absolutely big risk moving into a new industry. But I was so surprised by how much professional satisfaction that I experienced. So at that point, I knew I was on to something with quality. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. So So for people who want to go into healthcare quality, What advice would you give them? What barriers did you face when you started making that transition? So for me, initially, as I said, I had been in home health and I really would have loved to have stayed in home health quality, but the opportunities were really limited at that point. And not only just in the the 
amount of opportunity, but in the type of focus, because it really only focused on Oasis QA review and pretty much chart audits. Really didn't look at, you know, true data um, and really, again, implementing that that to, to impact change. And so for someone who's really interested, my advice would be to get as much exposure as possible. I'm big on shadowing. So look for opportunities to shadow a seasoned quality professional that it will help them to learn more. If possible, attend their QAPI meetings. And that'll really give them an idea of the performance gaps, as well as any initiatives that have been implemented. To me, that provides such valuable insight as far as what's going on. Um, I would also recommend to actively begin to expand their knowledge on the industry's regs and even outside the industry, because granted, we all have quality regulatory requirements, but it may be a little bit different in a different arena. As I said, for me, I went from home health into managed care. Mm -hmm. Um, So you never know where the opportunity will be. So just preparing. And then from where they are, kind of start thinking from a quality perspective and look at what they can do to make a positive impact on patient outcomes, whether it's for their department or their team or their agency. And then if possible, volunteer to pilot some of the improvement um, processes and initiatives that are going on. That'll also help. And what I would do, um, or what I used to do, and I still do, I take a look at the websites of like CMS and the Joint Mm -hmm. Commission and National Association for Healthcare Quality and the Quality Improvement Organization. I think that's sometimes a little bit of a hidden secret as far as the QIO. I mean, that's what they, that's all they focus on. That's what they're there for is to really focus on quality improvement in, in healthcare. And so their websites are, filled with great knowledge for anyone who wants to learn more about quality. And CEUs, I know we all have to get them, but, and I know we typically want to look at more of the clinical, you know, skills side of things. They also CEU courses for quality. And I would recommend taking some of those courses to learn more about QAPI and attending webinars. YouTube is filled with all kinds of CMS webinars and other quality type webinars, and they're all free of charge. So that's kind of my short list of things that I would recommend for someone to actually start if they are interested in moving into quality. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned about CEUs because I think, like you said, people forget about doing CEUs related to things that are not directly clinical. And a lot of the state boards will approve those as appropriate CE hours. Yes. Um, versus just the diagnostic pathophysiology type courses. Exactly. So there is a thought in the therapy world and even in some of the other allied health professionals that nurses, registered nurses have it easy when it comes to getting into healthcare quality type roles. And a lot of the roles are, are typically reserved for registered nurses. Mm-hmm. Um, as a registered nurse yourself, would you agree with that or you know, is that a misconception? I think to some degree there is some truth to it. I think there has been a paradigm shift, though. And much like, and just again, my background in home health, but much like there was a thought that only a nurse could be a director of a home health agency. I think, again, that's moved um, from it just has to be a nurse and it has to have that clinical uh, mindset. Now, granted, There may be things that a physical therapist can't do that only a nurse can do. But if you're on a team, then, you know, you partner with your team to get the other aspects done. And the same is is vice versa. If 
the nurse has something that's more therapy related, then I would reach out to my therapy partner. So I think there was a morsel of truth to it at one point. But as I said, I just think that things are now evolving, which is good. It is good. And I'm glad you said a paradigm shift because it is. I mean, a lot of these allied health um, professionals and, you know, obviously I'm a physical therapist by background, but we bring a lot to the table as well. And, you know, vice versa, there's things that might have been reserved for therapists that a nurse can do. So it's really it really is about working with the team and utilizing your other partners, like you said. Yes, absolutely. And I've worked with some wonderful physical therapists that we just, we were able to, to really have more of an impact just because of the variety of background and experiences that we all brought to the table. Absolutely. So how did you end up starting your own consulting business? So it all stemmed from the massive changes that have taken place in the home health industry. Um, As I said, I've been in home health for over three decades, and I'm extremely passionate about home health and the care that we've been able to provide to patients in the comfort of their home. But there's been a lot of changes that impact payment models and, and just a variety of things for agencies. And so last year, January of 2023, CMS implemented home health value based purchasing. And that has been a game changer for the industry because now agencies are required to demonstrate their ability to provide high quality patient care, positively impact patient outcomes, as well as patient experience of care, or they can potentially get hit with a 5% penalty, which is 5% of their Medicare dollars. Wow. So that's huge. Um, But the flip side is that if they do well with their quality metrics, they can actually see or or receive a 5% increase in their Medicare revenue. And so it's from a negative five to a positive five. So now, I mean, honestly, more than ever, quality has become a priority investment for home health agencies because it's now moved more into a deciding factor role of of, of, as far as their money is concerned. I'll just (laughs) say money talks. Just their money may be hit. So that's enough incentive right there to really begin to focus on quality. But what I have found is that there are so many other moving parts that a lot of agencies just don't have the time to focus on the quality the way that they would like. Or there's just a lot of knowledge gaps that they have. And so I then decided at that point that I wanted to use my knowledge and my expertise for an industry that I absolutely have spent the the lion's share of my career in, but I absolutely love. So that was the birth of Quapi Consulting. Okay. And so when organizations want to work with you, how do they do that? How do they find out about you? So I have been networking a lot more than I ever thought I would. Um, You know, as a a nurse, I just never had to. I just, you know, you get your job and you go to work and you do what you have to do. But networking has been extremely helpful. Um, I was able to get the opportunity to present at the National Association of Home Care and Hospice um, last year at their financial conference. So having the audience filled with your chief financial officers and directors of finance, really the money people, Mm -hmm. and teach them about value-based purchasing and some of the things that they needed to do or need still need to do in order to be successful under this model has helped. Um, So it basically, it, it more so gave me kind of instant credibility as to who I was versus me trying to 
get out there. So that was a wonderful opportunity. Um, and I do plan to to continue down that path working with with that organization. We call them NOC. And then really trying to partner with state associations as well to help agencies in different states, because this is a national competition. So it's no longer just um, me and the people who are in my zip code. It is me and other agencies from all across the United States that are now competing for these Medicare dollars. So it's just really important for agencies to realize how impactful value-based purchasing is. And I think we're still in that little bit of shift right now. I think some are still struggling with it mm-hmm. and some have jumped in, but the, the mm, it, it's just a hard pill to swallow, I think, for a lot of organizations. And that with a lot of other moving parts with regulations is just making it a little bit more challenging for home health agencies at this point. Right. And as they say in the industry, what is your key differentiator? Like if a home health agency is saying, "Okay, I know I need to spend the money. I don't have the knowledge myself. I want to outsource this and I don't know who to go with. And there's all this, like you said, there's all this competition for these Medicare dollars. How do they decide or what makes them decide to work with you? Um, Well, it's more so me building a relationship with them. Mm -hmm. Um, What I have done is the connections that I have made, I do like to offer time to get to know them. So just maybe a 30 minute call or one hour call, just an introductory call, get an idea of what is it that they need, um, how I can help them. So it's really, I'm big on relationships. Let's see if we can work together because I need to know that one, that there's full buy-in on their part Mm -hmm. and that they are really serious about moving the quality needle for their organization. And if that's not evident, then it may not be a good fit. <laughs> yeah, because every every company might not be a company that you want to work with, right? Exactly, exactly. I have to know that their heart is in it and that they truly want what's best for the patients that they serve. And they want to do well with, with quality. And again, if I'm not feeling that, then... Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And what I want people to get out of this part of our conversation is that networking doesn't have to be this dirty word. It shouldn't be transactional. It's really about relationships, like you said. And people do business, whether people, whether you have your own business or or you're just trying to get a job, people do business or want to work with people they know, like, and trust. And so you have to be willing, even as an introvert like myself, (laughs) you have to be be willing to just have a conversation, (laughs) just get to know somebody on a personal level. It doesn't have to be icky. It doesn't have to be, what can you do for me? What can I do for you? It's, you know, let's talk about your journey. Let's talk about what makes you light up. Let's, let's see where our paths connect, where we have similarities, but your next job, whether that's at an employer or whether that is starting your own business, is predicated on who you know. You said it. Yeah. And, and I know that networking can get this bad rap. So I'm glad you took that approach with your response because I think it's it's underrated and it's it's unfortunately gotten a bad bad name. I absolutely agree with you, Um, as I said, because for me, it was a struggle for me. I mean, I laugh at it now, but I used to say, oh, networking is a bad word. Like, no, no, I'm not doing it. But again, it wasn't something that I needed to do at that time. 
So really coming to what you're saying, to come and just come into terms that it, it's not bad. It's actually fun. I like meeting new people and, you know, you have all kinds of different personalities and conversations. And, and so, like you said, it's not just about, so what is it that you want from me and what do you, what do you need me to do for you? It is truly relationships. And I've met some nice people that I actually um, have done things outside of, you know, work-related things through networking. So even building my own little personal circle. So it's, it's nice. It's really, I highly recommend <laughs> Absolutely. it. As a fellow clinician and clinician supporter, I am always on the lookout for resources that will help you in your career journey. I recently joined as a founding member to a community called Humans in Healthcare, led by the fabulous Amy Story, who is also my friend, and I'm sharing with you because you should consider joining too. If you don't know who Amy Story is, I would recommend checking out episode 12 of this podcast. So Humans in Healthcare is a unique and growing community of diverse clinicians from different backgrounds who are using their gifts, talents, and abilities to be the change that we want to see. It's a space for us to find community, creativity, and most of all, humanity. You are more than a credential. You are a human who is allowed to grow, change, and evolve. And this community really, really supports that. So a few things that I really like about the community. I like the genuine discussion and collaboration. It is a safe space. It's a place where we can have conversations. There's no drama. We also have regular office hours and discussion topics so you can get your questions answered around careers, leadership, the unique challenges of clinician creators. You can participate in a dedicated space for networking and peer support. There's also a private job board for non-clinical roles who are hiring clinicians. This is just a really genuine and special place, a safe place. And so I hope that you'll consider joining. I'll put the link in the show notes section. Talk soon. With your uh, 30 plus years of experience in healthcare and as a nurse and working in quality, where do you see the gaps are with our U.S. healthcare system? They are many. Um, we have a long way to go. I, I definitely think that is the case. But I have to say that I am happy to see um, some of the strides that we're making as far as the quality footprint is concerned. So it's now, of course, moved across the entire care continuum. And the performance measures that some are similar, some are a little different, but we still have what mm -hmm. those cross-setting measures that require all of us to, to take a look at mm -hmm. the same things. And I think that has created some great partnerships, like unheard of partnerships before, whether it's an ACO or any other type of, of a partnership that you can use quality as the, the, the definitive as far as how you're doing. Like I can tell you what I can do for my patients, but I now have data that I can look at and really substantiate what you're saying to me. Okay, you're telling me that you provide great service, but you're two and a half star. <laughs> so I think on some level, that, <laughs> that has really <laughs> that has really opened, you know, the door for more um I would say an improvement, you know, the type of care because 
I look at stars for everything and I don't buy a product right. that's a two star product or a two and a half star product. So why would I trust the health of myself or my loved one to anything that's two and two and a half stars? So I think that path is, is going to help as long as we continue. But I think it needs to be ingrained as well in the organization, because if it's only the upper level people who are really the ones that have bought into it, I think it needs to be really, really disseminated. I think at the start, um, when you hire new people through orientation, it is really about the quality of care that we expect. And there is there's no compromising on that. And so, yes, we still have a long way to go. We still know um, that there's still not so great things that happen. There's still harm that occurs to patients. But if we do something about it, if we identify it and do something about it, so now you have a lot more systems and processes in place to capture Mm -hmm. different types of data. And the focus now can be on how can we fix that? And I know with home health, since our um, QAPI regs were codified back in 2015, that really started the ball rolling for us from a quality perspective. But prior to that, it was really about the organization, their culture and the value that they placed on quality and performance improvement. Now everyone has to have some form of quality in place and really focus on fixing what they find wrong and not just Yeah, and fixing it in a sustainable way. And to your point, when people choose home health, they have a choice. So they're- is usually elective. Even if they need it, they can choose which company they want that's within their network if they have a certain insurance. Whereas, you know, like on the acute care side, if people have an emergent event, they're going to the hospital that's closest. So in the home health world, I see it as being even more important to have a focus on quality because like you said, I don't, I don't buy Amazon products that are two stars. I don't, Go to restaurants that are two stars. <laughs> yeah. Why would I pick a home health agency that's two stars? Right. right, right, exactly. And unfortunately, we have a lot of them that are still two stars that still have a lot of work to do. And it takes time to to change that. So if you're able to share, how long does it take to get a star rating change from when a company starts to say, okay, I need to make a change. I'm hiring somebody to help. I'm going to work through it. How long? Because I know some of the Medicare data is retrospective and it's delayed. So how long does it take to change that reputation from a star perspective? It is very time consuming. It is not a quick fix. It will not happen in six weeks. It will not even happen in six months. To your point, the data is retro. So if you start today, you will begin to see improvement if, of course, you apply yourself immediately, but that won't show up in your star ratings. So it it pays to have a quality vendor, to have real-time data, as real-time as possible. Um, Typically within a 30-day window of your discharges, you want to be able to see how well you did with your patients, um, you know, during Mm -hmm. that previous time frame. But you have to consistently work on it. There has to be a lot of focus. The lower the star, the more effort, of course, is going to take. And so the more resources. So you're going to have to have regular quality meetings. You can't have a quarterly quality meeting. You may have to have a monthly quality meeting or biweekly quality meetings, depending on whatever's going on, and have to have action items and someone responsible and that person being held accountable for 
coming back to the table and, and saying what they did and how that turned out and did it work? And if it didn't, okay, then let's go ahead and let's do a PDSA and let's just get things going. But realistically, it could take you about two years to really see it show up oh, wow. on Care Compare. It is truly about outcomes and it is truly about making people better, not just processes. And that's the thing with home health is we only have one process measure, which is whether or not we got in within 48 hours. Everything else is truly, did they get better walking? Did they get better bathing? Did their breathing get better? Did they get better with their medications? Did you keep them out of the hospital? Like those are all things that require input from your patient as well. So if the patient isn't empowered, if the patient isn't engaged, then that's going to make it that much more challenging. So there's so many moving parts um, from the start of care to a discharge that can impact a fall, can completely impact everything. So realistically, quality takes uh, quite a bit of time to really get it to, I always say stick. I love to use that word, um, you know, to get it to stick because you think you got it and then you go back and pull data mm-hmm. and it's like, oops. I get it. So something something went wrong. Like one of my uh, teammates we used to say, Houston, <laughs> we have a problem. So and it's a collaboration <laughs> with the patient, too, because you're only as home health, you're only in there for a distinct amount of time. Yes, it all depends on the patient's needs, though. So we don't have a finite time unless there's no skill. As long as there's a skilled need, Medicare will continue to pay us. So it, it just really all depends on the patient's engagement. A lot of times it's the family. You know, if the patient has a good support system, those patients may be able to get them discharged within 60 days. But they are patients that, depending on what their condition is, they may stay on for six months. And as long as, again, we document that their skill and we show that their skill, then there's no no problem with keeping them on longer. Okay. So going back to your consulting work, when a company signs on to work with you, what are they committing to? Are they committed to, committing to a year? Are they committing to six months? Does it depend? Because like we said, the they're not going to see that immediate change in their stars, um, even though they may see some change yes. in their local measures. So it varies. It could be um, a short term thing where they have an identified they have identified an issue and they want help just for that particular area. In which case it may be 10 hours of training or it could be they want retainer. So they want to retain me as their you know, quality consultant for their copy meetings, for whatever data they're collecting, for any decisions that they're making about their EMR or their quality vendor, um, help with their um, quarterly reports, their star measure reports. And now for home health, those value-based purchasing reports. So it varies. It, it's it's, I had one that started out as a, um, just a committed, you know, time frame, And then before we even got on our first call, they were like, okay, we want to retain you. So, you know, it just all depends on what they've identified, what their needs are. And then I'll just accommodate that. Okay. That makes sense. Well, this is great information. And I, I'm just very intrigued by the work that you do. What else would you share with the audience that would help them either to navigate into a role like yours or feel like they're making an impact in in healthcare or in home health? Definitely for quality, especially home health quality, they really do need to have a solid knowledge of OASIS because that's really where it all stems from. 
And from the starter care, like I said, through discharge and really the front end process is kind of set the stage. So really someone who's interested in closing that knowledge gap with clinicians, because a lot of times that I will tell you when I first started in using the Oasis way back in 99, I wasn't trained. Um, and so you just kind of go out in the home and you're just mm-hmm. kind of figuring it out. So really investing in someone else and really wanting to invest in someone else to, to move to the next level is important. And it, you sometimes are going to be dealing with people who don't agree with what you said, don't like what you've said, <laughs> um, may get offended by what you said. But of course, you want to say it in, in a way that's mm-hmm. um, non-punitive and but still not being one who shies away from, you know, the confrontation of I need to talk to you. I'm doing a chart audit and your notes indicate A, B and C or your notes don't indicate A, B and C. And so someone who's willing to have tough conversations, you definitely have to have thick skin and as a clinician anyway, and when you work in healthcare. So it's just taking that and shifting it in another direction. And instead of working with a patient directly, kind of using the same concept of like patient education, I want to apply that um, to a professional to help them to develop. So it, it really is you just really wanting to, to be that resource. And I think if you can start from where I really want to take what I know, really take my knowledge, really share that and then help someone else. But sometimes you have to be a little bit of a pain. And if you're okay yeah. with that, <laughs> then I think that, you know, it, it would be great because we certainly need people who are interested in quality. Absolutely. Yeah, because as healthcare quality professionals, we are the influencers. Yes. And sometimes the people that we're influencing don't want to be influenced. <laughs> yes, That's a, that is a great um, way to put it. <laughs> but it's like you said, there's a way to be able to share that information because there's a difference between leading by influence and leading by authority. And when people don't report to you, but you're responsible for their work, or you're trying to help them through the processes that they're having trouble with, there's going to be some friction sometimes that, you know, it's just yes. par for the course as a healthcare quality professional. So you do have to have thick skin, but it is so rewarding on the other side when you see their eyes light up or when you, when they make this huge improvement for their patients and they get excited about it and it's their win, right? Yes, Absolutely. Uh, makes all the difference. And I think initially, you know, people, you, what you don't, you don't know what you don't know. And sometimes the mind attacks what it doesn't understand. But to your point, when their eyes light up, like, oh, so you weren't coming after me. (laughs) No, (laughs) I told you I wasn't, but, you know, helping them to get to the point of, I'm just here to help you. And it, 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 it really is not a choice. Like you have to get better. We have to improve. We have to get better with the care that we're providing. And that starts with us, you know, each individual clinician really wanting to do it. And so I know that, I, I mean, I haven't met every clinician, of course, but the majority of the ones that I have worked with, right. they want to do better. Like they didn't get into healthcare not to do better and not to provide good care. But, and I don't think that they're not providing good care. I just think there's always room for improvement. And so, especially, and again, we have data to show that we're not hitting the mark on these things. So let's just figure out what we as a team need to do. And no, no one's pouncing. And and, um, and again, it's not punitive, but truly growth and development. That's really the goal. 
So this next question is something I asked all of my guests. What was your defining point, Onika? Um, I would have to say for me, it's when I came to realize and appreciate really the true impact and the benefit of quality. And that came when I moved outside of home health and moved into managed care. So I'm really grateful for that opportunity because that exposed me to something new and something different. And honestly, I never thought I would enjoy working with data and things like that when I was younger because I was so busy focused on, you know, mm-hmm. building my clinical skills. That was really all I cared about. But, you know, my goal was always to provide quality care to my patients and working in quality allowed me to contribute more extensively and holistically. And so the focus wasn't so tunneled, you know, mm-hmm. it's more big picture. And that whole science of caring, it just expanded to me. It was an expanded meaning, meaning, you know, moving from just patient care again to a big picture view. And I just truly enjoyed, and I actually, I still enjoy the many opportunities to help others develop um, their professional skills, to be able to identify solutions of their own. I may have to lead them to it initially, but for someone to come back to me and say, you know, I thought that we can maybe try this. That is, that is wonderful. That does it for me. And it's just beneficial to them beneficial to their patients, their organization, and just the industry. Like regardless of what aspect of the industry, I just think if we're all doing well in whatever segment we work in, overall, the whole U.S. healthcare system will improve. And I've always had to be learning. Like I can't Mm -hmm. be a stagnant person. (laughs) There has to be some movement, you know, for me. And so I've had the opportunity to acquire new knowledge and skills whether it's through collaborating or from creating um, a, a fix for something or developing content or implementing um, and definitely evaluating, you know, is this working? Is it not working? What else can we come up with? The whole concept of brainstorming, but, you know, just doing all of that in an effort to achieve and sustain improvement really locked me in. Like I knew that this is where I want to be. This is where I want to spend the duration of my career. I love that. And as a quick aside, For those who don't know what managed care is, can you give a brief summary? Sure. So a managed care organization, those are our insurance companies that are large payers. And so they basically are the ones who determine how much is being reimbursed for what. And um, so for me, the role that I played was, as I said, working with doctor's offices and it was helping them to, it was real, really more so preventative care, but um, it saves money. So if the patient is getting a colonoscopy every, you know, regularly, depending on what, what their background and what has happened in their past, but typically 10 years, um, if they haven't gotten that, then it was my job to work with the provider offices to get those patients in. That's just an example. So really managed care, they're really trying to keep costs down for the most part. Um, and we all have our opinions of them, and this is not the platform <laughs> to discuss that. But <laughs> but for the most part, it is let's get as much um, of the preventative care on the front end to keep people as healthy as possible. Or if something happens, we catch it on catch it early, and hopefully we can help that patient's health to to improve. So that's just pretty much what the managed care model is, and controlling costs so that you know providers yes. aren't ordering more than they need or less than they need. And like right. you said, that there's some exactly. you know, strong opinions about that. And that's not what we'll go into depth in this conversation. But just for people <laughs> to know 
Yes. Another day, another time. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I have really enjoyed our conversation and I'm so appreciative that you decided to join me on this podcast. Thank you, Brandy. I've enjoyed being here with you. And thank you for the invite. Thank you so much for listening to the show. It would mean a lot if you would share this episode with a friend or a colleague. I would be honored to encourage them in their journey too.